What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert reviews, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this early uh, afternoon? I'm doing all right. Uh, All I got to say is if you're ever at a Mexican restaurant in Peavely, Missouri, maybe don't eat there. (laughs) That's all right. I've... uh... After contemplating quitting drinking for at least like a month just to, you know, save some money for stuff, uh, been out drinking for the last four days. <laughs> way to, w- w- yeah, go big or go home. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. Way to ruin our brand. You can't just quit drinking. Well, you know, I can dip into the coffees and teas and so forth and, you know, you it's can in talk your, about... It's in your contract. Oh, okay. The contract that I didn't r- draw up or give to you or anything? The one that I, the one that I never signed, yeah. We, yeah, we don't uh, do discography discussion type shit and make people sign contracts. Well, you know, we haven't had a problem with you not showing up yet, John. <laughs> You'll be uh, getting my letter of resignation here soon. John, John's always he's always there. He's he, he even even on discography discussion, he's known to just show up. So you know, uh, this episode's guest though, kind of getting back on track, is uh, Mixie of Stitch Up Heart. Uh, this was done a little while ago on the uh, Godsmack Volbeat uh, Stitched Up Heart tour. Uh, my first arena interview, which was pretty cool. Um, I now have been in every quote-unquote backstage green room in in this town that i live in um van andel was like the last one to go to and uh yeah it was really cool uh, a little bit about this though that was kind of funny is a there is the video of this uh which is cool uh mixie also taught me that uh apparently i need to figure out what is my good side because uh, i just look like a fat pile of shit sitting next to her <laughs> i feel uh, you man it wouldn't have gotten any better if, if i would have done it versus you but the uh, the interesting thing was though is uh, initially they were doing their meet and greet after their set and so as we're as I'm being escorted uh, through the arena to get to the locker room area, the t- tour manager uh, basically is just like, hey, like, did you mind doing this like live in front of the meet and greet people and maybe like you know at the end they can ask some questions and I was like, uh, yeah, sure, but it just became one of those things where I was like. Oh God! I, uh, I mean, I've wanted to do a live podcast, but I, I, I don't know. Like these are like diehard fans. Like, what if they're just like that? Question sucks. I didn't, pre- yeah, I didn't prepare for this at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I prepared for my interview, and I prepared for it to be one on one. But throwing an extra thirty, forty people in a space, it was just like, oh, okay. Uh, all right, I guess. Yeah, let's let's do that. And then I was like, kind of wrapping my head around how to sort of integrate, you know, thirty, forty diehard fans into something that you know I'm doing. And uh, it definitely made me realize that if we do a live podcast, like it has to, you know, I think we got to approach it that way. Like we got to think a little bit differently and incorporate the people into it. Uh, But just being kind of thrown into it, you're just like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, scary. Um, Okay, let's let's do that. (laughs) I'm going to have to talk to my makeup artist first. But no, it's kind of interesting. Just put it on the Metal Nexus credit card. It's fine. Yeah, I I haven't got one of those yet either. Man, they're just shafting you. I, I got mine like. Before we even went live, as brutally speaking. But yeah, this was uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I know Dan and I have kind of talked with some other band people about this thing. You know, like when we went to go see Stitched Apart, my wife and I, um, going to see them, you know, because they, they asked after the fact. They're like, oh, how did it sound? I was like, ah, you know, it sounds kind of not as good as Volbeat and Godsmack. And I was like, but, you know, I think, you know, it's no secret that a lot of, you know, opening like bands on arena tours and such, you know, they put limits on how the much volume they can use the PA. So it might be like you get to use 20% of the PA volume or whatever, or, you know, you can only use this much of the stage because we have, you know, various stuff set up in the background or whatever, uh, drum kits and so forth. So, I mean, it just becomes this thing where it's like, it's not a secret that that's what happens, but it just kind of sucks because it's like, if you're the first band and you're trying to win over people and, and that's your first presentation to people is, is that it just sucks. 
It's total bullshit too, though. By the way. Oh, I totally. That agree. they do that. They basically nerf the opening band because they're like, well, in case you end up being cooler or better in some way than our headliner, we're basically going to nerf you and make you not as good. Well, the thing about it that's never really made sense to me is it's like, okay, so people come out and they pay their hard-earned money. And, you know, most of that is on the back of whoever the headliner is, at an arena level anyway. And it just seems like it'd be like, okay, like, so we'll just use Godsmack as the example. So wouldn't it be kind of weird that it's like, oh, Godsmack and Volbeat sounded great. And then it's like, but doesn't it kind of do your your package a disservice if consistently when Godsmack takes out whomever that it's like, oh, man, the opening band always sounds terrible. So I'm, ne- I'm not going to go there. Or I guess they don't care because potentially they got the money and you're there to see them at the very end of the night. But then it's almost like, well, then fuck that. Why waste the money on a band that you're going to limit from what they could sound like to – have them be there for what they're supposed to do, which is to also bring people and to also break a new artist and so forth. And it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to, to do that to a band to basically, you know, you're giving them a hand out by putting them on this tour, but then you're, you're cutting them off at the knees basically because you're not letting them sound the way they're supposed to. And that just doesn't seem like it does anyone any good. No, it really doesn't. And it doesn't really make the, it doesn't make the headliner look better, especially since nowadays it's kind of getting out that that's what the headliners are doing. And maybe it's not them, maybe it's the management or whatever, but it's kind of a, it's kind of been a trope for a long time that like you go and see certain bands and the opening bands just sound so much bigger and, and, or I'm sorry, the opening bands sound like shit. And then the, the headliners sound so much bigger and epic. And it's like, if God smacks legitimately a better band than these other bands, then then it shouldn't matter. So it's it's more insecurity on their part than it is anything else. Yeah, I don't I don't know. You know, I would love to you know get to someone of that level and just kind of ask. I mean, we've been fortunate enough to see a lot of bands over the the twenty some odd years or so of us going to shows. And you know, at the club level, you don't really see people doing that. You see people. I mean, I've made several mentions on this podcast alone of you know when I went to see Ice Nine Kills, the second of four on the Atreyu tour. Honestly, as much as I love Atreyu, and as much as Memphis Mayfire does really well as as well in a live setting, that was an Ice Nine Kills crowd. They knew every word. Their people were at the merch line at least twenty, thirty people deep almost the entirety of the show. They played mostly their whole new record, which I think at that point had been out maybe a month, and everyone knew like every fucking word to every song. Same thing when we went and saw them on the same thing when we went and saw them on the Falling in Reverse tour, and it's like at some point you just kind of got to realize that the, a band is is having their moment or needs to have their moment. And like you said, if the, if you are worth the everything that you know the headlining status, and you're worth the you know like all the people paying the money to come see you, and you you know that that's the case then don't fucking limit the people you take out because that just makes everyone look bad. It just makes the tour look bad, in my opinion. And I think that was something we even talked about with Corey, Brandon, you know, where he was just like, look, like sometimes you get on tours and, and you as the headliner know that you're you're going to have walkouts and stuff because, like, people only came to see someone else on the tour. Or maybe, you know, it's the other way around where no one comes to see anyone but you. But, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it's just a weird thing. Like, you know, I just... As a whole, it kind of has always rubbed me the wrong way. And in this day and age now where, like, everyone talks about it or, you know, you look at someone like Nikki Six talking about, like, when we went out with Ozzy, you know, like, it was cool because we were given full access to the PA and the stage and so forth. You know, he wanted to have us have a good show because it does well for everybody at that point. Um, because, you know, if word of mouth goes like, oh, man, you got to get there early and get, you know, to see this opening band, then, like, more people are going to buy tickets that maybe wouldn't have. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just a, it's a very outdated standard in the industry then i I just don't see who who it benefits in any way shape or form or why it still exists yeah it seems very antiquated it seems like something that probably was was standard in like the early to mid 90s 
and now it's like and i don't know i i think part of it is just that like big time music business is so antiquated in its approach to everything it's weird because like it's so publicized what strategies work and don't work and like you said john you're just doing a huge disservice to people because they either think that the they I guess in a best case scenario, you think that the opening band legitimately sucks, even though like a lot of the times I found myself standing there being like, this would actually be really awesome if it was louder, you know, or they had more lights, you know, or they had just like a a bigger production to what they're playing. I mean, don't take my word for it. Like I'm just some asshole that goes and sees hardcore bands for 10 bucks a pop, but like, you know, you don't see it in that world. So whenever you do decide to pony up the cash to see a big time show, it's weird that you don't see that consistently from beginning to end. Well, I guess uh, that was a tangent I wasn't necessarily expecting either of us to really kind of latch on to, but obviously it's something that we're pretty impassioned about uh, from this and, and just kind of the experience. Uh, but with all that said, let's get into my conversation with Mixie from Stitched Up Heart, and we will talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> So I have the pleasure of sitting across from Mixie of Stitched Up Heart. They just got done playing a set, literally, here at Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And you guys just put out a new song less than a week ago now, Lost. Uh-huh. Uh, it was the end of the set. Spoiler, it's the last song in the set. Um, how has the reaction been to that song for you so far? Really good. Actually, today is the first day on Octane Test Drive, so we're hoping this week is going to be a good one. Um we have a, we made a lot of friends in radio, so there's a lot of people playing the song without any sort of like you know financial backing yet. But uh, if it goes well, then and the listeners like it, then that'll be really cool. It's interesting to me nowadays that we still consider. I mean, Octane and, and XM isn't technically like terrestrial radio anymore, like it used to be. But it is interesting to still see how. You know, people say that radio is dead and all that kind of stuff. Those avenues don't really help anymore. But it is interesting to see bands like yourself or like a Wilson or something like that, who that has a huge impact mm-hmm. on on album sales, especially, you know, this is the first song off of the upcoming album. Uh, so to see it doing so well has got to be like a good indicator of potentially what this next uh, record could do for you. Yeah, I mean, we really worked hard on this album. We wrote 70 songs. Uh, now, now a, a thing that I always like to kind of make fun of, when you say 70 songs, are they legit 70, 70 songs, like songs. Maybe, straight up start to finish? They have choruses, uh, verses, bridges, everything? Some, or some of the 70 would be like a verse, pre-chorus, chorus, and maybe not a second verse written yet or a okay. bridge. Okay. But the, the meat and potatoes of the song, the verse and the chorus, is really the, the, the meat and the potatoes. But... Yeah, majority like recorded at that ma- at that amount, and there was a lot of full songs recorded as well. Now, when you are you one of those bands that when the when the new album is done and you still have we'll say fifteen songs total, what do you do with those other like fifty five? Like, do you keep those on a hard drive and go back to them for the well to maybe find something that didn't work out this time, but maybe like will be insp- like inspirational strike on the next uh, writing cycle? You know, maybe, but I feel like uh, we write from, like, where we are in that, you know, right now. Right. And time's going to change and music's going to change, and I think things will... Who knows if those will ever see the light of day. But um, what I did grow from is from the writing 
we used the last 13 songs that we wrote pretty much. Okay. Like, so the rest of the songs. So they were like the 13 the, most The very current. end, right. we wrote all the ones that are on the album except two. Okay. And um, there's 11, I think, that will be on the record, and there's two that are that were written earlier on. So uh, I think that as you keep writing, just like anything else you do, you get better and better and better, and you find the path that you want okay. the album to sound like. And at first we really didn't know what we were doing because we wanted to change a little and evolve, but you know, keep our identity. And um, it was a very fine line to find it. And when we finally found it, then it was like full sale, you know? Now, where in the process of those 13 or so, where did Lost fit into that? And because what I always find interesting about a lead off single is, you know, usually that's going to be kind of everyone's first taste of this new record. So would you say that Lost is a good first representation of where the record, how the record will sound? Or, you know, because there's just not a lot out about the record right now. And, I'm, and I know you can't probably talk too much about it at this point. Lost is a very good transfer from the old sound to the new sound um it it fits right in the middle there's some songs similar to it but nothing on the album sounds like another song on the album um there's not going to be another lost lost has a very similar element to finally free like the notes that i sing in it are actually almost the same things on the piano so um i didn't know that until after and i was like no wonder we like the song because finally free is one of my favorites from never alone but um but then we also took total left turns on the record and just tried something completely different and uh you know they might not be radio singles but they'll be really cool interesting unique album tracks um so there's there's some bangers there's some you know there's there's stuff that people liked about the last album still in it and some new stuff what's something about this upcoming record and again, it kind of sucks that there are, we're talking in vague generalities at yeah. this point. But is there something on this record to you that really signifies the growth from that first record to this one now? That you can like pinpoint where you're like, there it is. It's, it's on this song or a couple of pieces and moments on this record really showcase that. Well, there's a lot lyrically and then there's a lot vocally. Um, lyrically, Never Alone was about... Like, we just got signed. We just got a record deal. We just got management. We just got a booking agency. Like, everything is, oh, it's going to be okay, guys, you know? And then this one, I went through a lot of stuff since that record. Like, a lot of, we always go through ups and downs. That's just part of life. And this one was kind of more about going through another tunnel in life and not being afraid of it as much because you know you've came out on top lyrically. Right. Working with someone like Sully, because it's, looking at Godsmack's career, it's been interesting, because I was making the comment to my wife and her parents, they were down here earlier today, and I go, I remember being, like, in mid, in high school, like, freshman, middle, or, uh, freshman or sophomore year of high school, and used to be afraid of the band. I thought they were scary. They kind of, like, I liked the music, but, like, they were intimidating to me, and the people that would go to the shows were, like, burly men's men who would, like, beat you up. Nothing and, much has changed with that. But the thing is, is now I'm at the age that those men were yeah. at the time. And now I'm just like, it's interesting to see how that band's career has shifted over the, you know, that 20 some odd years or so from being kind of a more heavy metal, hard rock band to now. I was kind of saying to my wife that they've almost kind of transcended into like a, a classic rock band now. With looking at what Sully's done in his career and the songwriting that has evolved, Working with him, what did you take away with working from him in a songwriting perspective? Well, I'm still learning from him for everything. Uh, he's he's a genius. Like he's just really real yeah. and 
authentic and he's not scared of saying how it is. You know, he's very bold. And I think sometimes people shy away from being real honest. And I think that's something that people like about, especially his lyrics. Yes. He's got a great timbre and timbre in his voice and all that stuff, but um, great showmanship and really good at just getting the crowd going. You know, I, I learn every single day when I watch them play that like, like I'm just taking notes. I got a little notepad <laughs> over here. I'm just like, oh, do that. That's cool. Let me try that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's really cool being in the environment with the big, the big leagues um, where you can see what the professionals do. They're like the first day, they're all like, how many semis do you have? <laughs> we're like, uh, shoot, we forgot the semis at home. Um, no, we're in an RV in the trailer and there's like right. seven buses and five semis on this tour. So um, it's really cool. There's a lot that goes into it that, with the big leagues. You know, something we're kind of sticklers for on this podcast is kind of talking a little bit inside baseball, as it were. With being on something like this, you know, I was just talking, you know, like I was telling you uh, a couple of days ago, talking to uh, the guys in Periphery and Dance Gavin Dance. And the guy in Dance Gavin Dance is also has a, another band that's not on that level. So he's still kind of climbing the ranks with his, his, his band while he's in a band that's like, you know, his band would be taking like the first of four on a package tour kind of situation. And so it was kind of interesting for him to see that duality of like, I'm in the position where, you know, a lot of people think I can help them do all these other things, but I'm also on the other side where I'm like, man, I have to fight for everything I get. And it was interesting to be able to talk to him because he has completely different perspectives on that thing. Adversely, I know this is, I think this is other than that in this moment run you guys did at Deltaplex, this is kind of one of the more bigger scale arena tours like this uh, that I think that you've been a part of. So as such, what do you take away from doing something of this magnitude that you then bring to like a club show? Wow. Well, I still play to a club the same I do as an arena. I think it's a little more intimate with a club setting. Um, it's hard to, I try to make eye contact with everybody, but like, I can't that, see like, everybody. That 20 foot gap has probably got to be real that hard. That is like, hard. And my eyes are going nearsighted, so I can kind of <laughs> see you. I don't know. Um, but no, I, uh, you know, you said Hailstorm, the last tour that we did. Yeah. What's, what's funny is that Hailstorm's first arena tour was with Godsmack. I saw them. Stained. Yeah. Godsmack yep. and Stained. And our first arena tour was Hailstorm in this moment in New Year's Day. So... Now we're on tour with Godsmack, and I'm like, well, we just need a Godsmack Hailstorm, you know, stitched up heart show. So that's what I'm hoping for. Kind of switching up gears, uh, and this is showing my age and not mentioning yours in the process. <laughs> um, as a wrestling fan and someone who has followed Chris Jericho's vast adventures in many mediums in the entertainment industry, uh, there was a show called Redemption Song, and it's not the Bob Marley song that everyone probably remembers uh, if you were to Google this, but, uh, you know, at that point, reality music competitions weren't really a thing then. So what was that experience like kind of being, you know, you don't have 20 seasons of The Voice to, to piggyback off of and go like, okay, I know what this experience is going to be like. Yeah. What was that experience like? Well, I had actually just gotten off tour um, filling in, doing keyboards, backing vocals, and rhythm guitar for a band called Anti-Product from the UK. And I was bored in LA and trying to find something to do. And I found like a Craigslist ad that said like, do you look like tequila, 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 and want to... Oh, wow sing stuff and want to compete to sing and I was like sure I guess I, I don't know I have tattoos whatever we'll try it out so I was just bored and I submitted and then they called me back and I kind of I didn't I didn't really like look at it as 
I just wanted to experience stuff in life. That's really what all this is about. I want to see the world. I want to experience things, um, you know, before I die as much as I can. And that's all it was for me. I remember day one, the girls were all like, who you think is going to win? And I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just here for the beer, man, you know. But um, it was fun. It's, it's interesting to know now, having friends more on the, the industry side of things, learning and spoiler alert for those who don't know this, uh, a lot of developmental artists uh, get handpicked and thrown into these shows to develop their artist on the a roster that may be someone they don't know. Um, I don't know if that was the case back in the day because it sounds like it was, like you said, more like a, a, a just a random wide casting uh, call. I think they definitely talent. pick characteristics that would um, clash with each other, but very <laughs> there was some talent in there. There yeah. definitely was talent, but um, there was a little bit of, you know, just getting people to fight. And I was like, why? Why are they fighting? I don't understand what's going on. I'm just going to sit back here. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, Chris Jericho, it's so funny because his role, he was the host of the show. Right. Um, and... He's supposed to be this tough guy. Like, he's mean. Like, I'm, I'm mean to all the girls. But I saw right through that. I, every time he'd say something mean, I would just be like, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I was trying to remember if around that same time was when he was really trying to get Fozzie off the ground. You know what? I don't know. I think that was at the beginning, yeah. sort of. So it was kind of interesting to see the what would kind of be the beginning of your professional career at that point. While also it kind of starting to be the beginning of what he was trying to do, either in hosting stuff and or now getting Fozzie off the ground and getting more visibility away from being Chris Jericho the wrestler. And to me that was kind of interesting. Oh, I thought I was in the way. Um, it was really interesting. But then, you know, you go on to win and you put out a record and it's kind of more in the pop vein. And wanted to kind of know what does being in that realm kind of because while there's a lot of similarities I would assume just in touring and, and all that kind of stuff but I feel like it's in the pop realm music is more of a, a product that needs to be sold and so therefore I feel like maybe you learn more about how just the, the the business of the music industry because of that unique situation and being more in a pop thing as opposed to let's develop a band let's get you on the road and tour let's build your name and I feel like those are completely different experiences yeah, well, I mean, like, I'd always been in bands, and it wasn't until that show that I kind of got kind of guided into the solo thing. Right. And it always, it felt weird to me. I, I did a whole record with uh, just, like, this producer guy. I know it's Dan, Daniel Luttrell. Um, and we just did sounds that we liked and just got kind of funky with it. It's super weird, but we just kind of created fun stuff. And, um, I mean, the, the Geffen deal was only for one song. And um, after that, I was writing this whole album, but I didn't like the idea of just being it being about me. Like, I, want, I liked the team. Um, and actually, our drummer, Decker, uh, was hired for the music video for that solo thing. Um, and that's how we met, but I think that having a band, it's just like more of a family and like a brother sisterhood. And it's just like you're not all by yourself out there. It's like you've got your team and your people. And um, and I'm really grateful to have them. I'm only saying that because they're right here. <laughs> no, I love them to death. I do. Interestingly enough, what was there any backlash when you tried starting to start this band? Because... You know, the internet being what it is now, you can find things from forever ago, much sometimes to the detriment of some of the people themselves with, you know, misguided tweets and so forth. But 
with that, were people when you were trying to start Stitch Apart and trying to, to get some traction with that, were people kind of like, well, no, you're you're this thing, you're this this record you put out before that that's what you are and that's what people are gonna assume you are and that this is disingenuous. Like, did you ever face any of that? No, I I've always wanted to change the sound. Like, I've never I've, I want to pull the Papa Roach and just you <laughs> know throw a throw a curveball to people. I don't want people to get the same record. If you want the music we just did, listen to that record. Uh, <laughs> but you know. Uh, I just always want to try new things and explore new artic, artistic territory, you know? So it's that that leap with the small little fan base I even had as a solo person um, wasn't that big of a deal. I just wanted to scream and have heavy guitars back it up. I think it's a way better avenue, personally. It's just more fun, and I found that the rock scene is just a lot more loyal, Loyal, accepting, um, real, and um, yeah, I think loyalty is the biggest thing. Like, I don't know, they're just more honest and they stick by your side. I remember finding and, and looking for those clips and so forth so I could kind of have more of a refresher of how the show really was. I rem- my wife ended up finding something from, I think it was a writing session for what was going to go on the record, but it was an old MySpace video of you playing acoustically. Like, oh, I just wrote the song earlier and you were really excited. You're like, but I haven't... It's not finished. I'm still working on it, but I just you know, want to play it and get it out there. Do you ever run across those videos now and just kind of go like, oh, God, I wish those like weren't there? Or does it, is it kind of inspiring to look back now all these years later and kind of see how far you've I come? Look at my scene queen hair and my freaking <laughs> raccoon stripes. I don't know what was happening there. I think but... we're like, what, about another six years, and that'll be the new, the new trend Yeah, you know back. the scene queen is going to come back, and then I would have started that, you know, back in the day. <laughs> but, uh, no, I... I do always wonder what I was thinking with my makeup and my hair, but I'm sure in like five years from now, I'm like, what was I thinking with my makeup and my hair? Um, Have you seen that uh, that like meme thing? Or no, it's not a meme. It's a video going around where it's like if there was YouTube tutorials for makeup, but it was like back in the the late '90s, so it was like done on like a VHS. Oh, I don't know. No, I, you haven't seen. It. Honestly, like I, I I don't go down the YouTube rabbit hole. And I definitely don't look at my old stuff because I don't want to see any of that. It's just embarrassing. It's like looking at old home movies, and I just pretend it's not there. Don't look. Don't don't look out there. Um, but I don't know. You shouldn't be embarrassed by what you do in life. Like you did it because at the time that's what you thought was fun, or that's that was you being you. And like I used to DJ. I I, I spun break beats in Florida. Technique 1200 MK2s for a little bit there. Um, so you know, getting into the some new stitched up art stuff. Yeah, it, 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 rewind it. No, uh, no, that's why I still like love that stuff. But um, I just appreciate it all. I mean, I played the tuba for three years, so there's like I don't have like a lane. I just know that like the rock community in general is my favorite. With it taking almost I'm trying to remember if my timeline's right, almost three years to put out this between records at this point. Do you feel? you're doing it too you're thinking too we i like to ask do you feel that we are in a culture or a time frame now in the music industry where singles and eps are better route or full lengths do fans want a full length experience anymore i feel like even just for me i like new music coming consistently at you um we all just have such a with how much there is out there we have such a small attention span that uh, if you give a whole album away then that's, they get everything, then that's it, and then what? And so it's like, I feel like if you kind of 
build the album and release more material, it keeps things consistent. And um, I, I think that that's probably one of the ways that it'll that music will change a little. But having the whole album is still eventually turns into the album. So you have the material to release as it goes and people's attention span after they've listened to the song like crazy and now they like, you know, just like an album, you'll listen to it like crazy then you're done with it in the next album. But with a song that month, that's your song. Right. The next song that month, that's your song, you know. So um, I think giving a little bit at a time until it turns into something is probably the best way to go about it in 2019. What does, obviously the record will be coming out at some point this year, but what does the rest of this year hold for you? Lots of touring, lots of hopefully, you know, hopefully more arenas. I really pray for that because this <laughs> is really fun. The only thing I don't like, the absolute only thing I don't like is that I can't get to hug everyone. <laughs> it's hard. I tried to go out to the merch table the first two shows and it was it was Godsmack's warm up shows in Texas. Warm up to 8,000 people. <laughs> What's warming up here? And uh, we went out afterwards and it was just crazy. So I, I learned very quickly that I can't do that like I can at the smaller shows. So I do still like those little ones, but the arenas are just so bigger than, larger than life. And I mean, they feed us well, they treat us well. There's all these people lifting our stuff and putting it on stages. Like, it's pretty cool. And it feels like you finally, like, finally accomplished your dreams. What, uh, just because, sadly, I don't get to talk to too many women on this podcast. For anyone who may be listening, what's a piece of advice maybe you have for some of the women that would be inspired by Never, you? ever, 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 ever give up. Work every single day at what you want to do because there's been plenty of times where I was just about to throw in the towel and I'm just like, man, I can't. Like, this is hard. It's really hard sometimes, and no matter what it is, whether you want to be a lawyer, whether you want to be a doctor, um, if you want to be a musician, you just have to really believe and believe in your heart that that's what you want first, believe, and then work really, really hard every single day. And no matter what it is, whether it's networking, whether it's making friends and, you know, whether it's just singing and playing an instrument and um, just work at it every day. And like, I promise, as long as you never give up, eventually it will happen. I believe that 100%. And then lastly, where can everyone find you and or the band online? Uh, our website is stitchedupheart.org. There will be pictures and stuff updated at some point, but there's tour dates and you got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time and uh, looking forward to seeing you hopefully again around uh, on a headlining run. Oh, no, no headlining. <laughs> I want to I be an opening band forever. <laughs> I love it. I like being the underdog. I like not people not knowing who we are and then halfway through the set seeing them start to move and, you know, it's just really cool to see it. Yeah, I mean, not all of them, obviously, but, like, it's just cool to see them going from who are you? I, oh, before we go. So they have a VIP experience where they walk like 60, 100 people around and they, they walk them around and show them the backstage for the VIP for the other bands. And I just stood in the line and started walking with all the VIPs and going through the whole thing that they did. And they had no idea who I was. Even the people in like the crew and the staff that worked here didn't know. And then I stood out the front of the stage and I'm like, what's going on, guys? Are we going to do something fun today? Like, what's, what's next? You know, and nobody knew. So that was really fun. Um, Robbie, the bass player for Godsmack, said that he, he does that too, or he'll just like blend in, and uh, people have no idea sometimes. But 
anyway, I am loving this. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. And hanging out with me. And um, if you want some food or anything, we got a bunch of stuff. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> So that was my conversation with Mixie from Stitched Apart uh, with a little background music from Volbeat, uh, as you can kind of hear at times. Yeah, they were. Uh, were they playing or were they just like sound checking? No, they were playing. Like that was that was the funny thing is like I had to start heading, making my way through the show uh, as Volbeat was actually starting. So I didn't even we our interview took the whole time of uh, Volbeat's set. Um, so I didn't get to see them, which is fine. I've seen them before. Uh, my wife was sending me a lot of texts about how terrible they were. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was amusing to like kind of hear my or feel my phone going off in my pocket uh vibrating because obviously i'm not having it with the sound on and her just be like this band's terrible why do people like this band <laughs> yeah that happens unfortunately but uh no it was it was really cool uh mixie was super gracious uh offered me wine and their their uh their writer stuff uh sandwich meats and so forth and uh super nice and then uh i think we spent another maybe 20 30 minutes talking uh with the whole band actually after the fact and you know it was just really nice uh it, you know i was kind of nervous going into more of a, an arena level kind of thing and you know mixie's been around for a long time as i kind of had referenced in the interview itself so you know i kind of didn't know if i was going to get someone that was going to be not hardened or anything but just a little bit more uh not as gracious i guess i don't know like i, I you know you do this enough and you're always kind of pleasantly surprised at how nice and polite everyone is. And you're just like, Oh shit. I mean, there are people too. And I, I get that, but it's, it's a thing where, you know, I think you've made the comment a couple of times where it's like, this is a very unnatural thing we do where we don't know these people ahead of time. We can read and, and find information about these people and, and kind of base our interviews and questions off of that. But to actually kind of be welcomed into something and have them be very uh, polite and cordial and so forth. It's just very, it's very, interesting uh you know I, I got to see the whole band and how they dealt with their meet and greet and the you know it definitely wasn't one of those things where it's like okay everyone line up and here you get your thing signed and off you go it was it very much was like they were in their dressing room the, all like 30 some odd people is very very cramped uh and but it was cool to see everyone getting their one-on-one -on -one time everyone kind of broke off and was talking to different members of the bands and you know it was just really cool and you know the, to see that ahead of time I, I felt more at ease talking with Mixie and, and you know being able to feel like it was okay to, to ask some personal questions and kind of go back further than just like, okay, stitched apart. Like let's go all the way back to you being on this, you know, reality TV show in the early two thousands. And what was that like? And, and, you know, and so forth. And, you know, did you have any issues transitioning from being a pop quote unquote pop star to, you know, kind of signing to being more in a, a metal band and so forth? Yeah. I think, I think the scary part, at least for me going into these types of interviews is that, you like you said we don't really know how approachable they are whereas you kind of get the uh you kind of got to see that like okay well they're they have no problem chatting with with like people that did their meet and greets and stuff so like it's not going to be weird i can kind of open up a little bit i can kind of visibly relax because there's definitely some people that we talk to where it's like you almost have to be on top of it and make sure you don't say this thing or you don't spend too much time talking about something that maybe they are tired of talking about, or, 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 or whatever it is. And so to to kind of be in person, number one, I think is actually easier than some of the remote stuff that we do. Because the remote stuff, it's just like, yeah, I hope I don't say the wrong thing, or they're just going to hit the hang up button. Uh, <laughs> you know. Whereas whenever you're in person with somebody, there's a certain amount of cordialness that's that's there with engaging with another human being that's right in front of you. And so I think in that case, you can kind of open up and be a little bit more relaxed and, uh, 
and, and really, you know, kind of pull the real questions you have out. Because we all have questions that we have written down, and then there's real questions we want to ask people. Sometimes we get to those, and sometimes we don't. I think the fun thing about doing this, and sometimes I wish we could actually have these on the recorded thing, but I completely understand why, you know, obviously it doesn't happen. But I think the conversations we have after the fact, when the when the recording is done, I think those are the more interesting conversations. I know, like, with uh, um, when we had made the comment about the you know, extra 30 some odd minutes or so that we had with Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter. Like, I wish we had that on tape. Like, cause it was really cool. And, you know, the one, I, I don't remember if we talked with Corey from Norma Jean for too much longer after we were done recording, but like, that was a lot of fun. Like, we've had a lot of instances where like getting to talk to these people and then like the after conversation because you're already 20, 30 minutes in. And so like now like the, the rhythm and the flow is there and you have a little bit more of a, a rapport with that person where they're like, oh, like this cool is not a dick. Like, and he seems to know enough about things. So like, let's just fucking keep chatting. And, and it was really, it was a lot of fun. And, uh. You know, getting to talk with the whole band at that point, uh, just kind of about touring and so forth, was a lot of fun. And uh, I would definitely love to have uh, some of the other guys on at some point as well, or just a full band thing, maybe, and, and uh, do more of a, a deeper dive. But I know they finally announced uh, the record, the new single dropped. Actually, it was what we played uh, to start this episode. And so I think uh, pre-orders, I think, are up for that new record right now. Uh, I should be a little bit more on top of that. But so the new record is coming out soon. Uh, they finally released uh, the video with. Uh, Sully for the song Lost, and uh, yeah, I was kind of bummed, I guess, after that tour date that we saw, they finally started having Sully come out and perform the song live, so that would have been cool to uh, to see him come out and do something like that. It would have reminded me of when Godsmack, Stained, and Cold uh, toured many, 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 many years ago, <laughs> almost, uh, shit, almost 20 years ago at this point, and uh, Aaron Lewis would come out and do just got wicked or, or sent in the clowns. That's what he would do. He'd come out and do sent in the clowns with cold. It was pretty cool. So, I mean, you don't see that a whole lot anymore. Like the, the opening band, having someone from like one of the headlining bands come out and do a song with them or do something with them as much as we used to. I definitely agree with you on the whole, like after the recorders, quote unquote off, um, side of it. I, I said that weird as if like, I'm secretly recording that stuff. I'm not, uh, but, uh, no, I, I definitely felt you, like, even with, like, the Corey Brandon one we did, we talked a lot about a lot of cool stuff afterwards uh, with Ryan Clark. It was the same thing, you know. Um, what's funny with the Ryan Clark one, I'm like, man, I kind of wish we could just use that instead of the actual interview we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Maybe we'll uh, get to have him back on and kind of basically have that, that chat again. Um, but kind of in, in wrapping up now, uh, if you would like to keep up with Stitched Up Heart, uh, you can go over to Facebook at Stitched Up Heart Rock, Instagram at Stitched Up Heart, and Twitter over at Stitched Up Heart as well. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Mixie, you can find her on Facebook at Mixie Stitched Up Heart, Instagram at Mixie Official, and Twitter at Mixie Official, and that's M-I-X-I, not M-I-X-I-E, like I had initially thought it was. <laughs> um, and if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus, and Dan will tell you where he can be found. Oh man, you can find me just about anywhere. Right now I'm at my house. I won't be there all day, but there will be some times where I will be there so if you know where that is that's terrifying uh the other <laughs> the other places you can find me more traditionally would be on facebook under daniel terry you can find me on twitter at discuss metal dan you can send me an email at discuss metal dan at gmail.com or you can even find my other podcast if you just loved my voice or you can find my other podcast discography discussion at discuss 
And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us simply enough on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Bruce Speak Pod. Check us out on YouTube. You can actually see the video of this interview taken backstage, uh, like I said, at the Van Andel Arena here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, uh, you know, I have to learn which is my good side, because apparently straight on is definitely not. And uh, <laughs> and uh, let us know. You know, we've been getting some comments on uh, some of our other videos lately, so very much appreciated. And uh, you know what? At this point, we're going to go ahead and announce this. We have started uh, our Patreon. We have a couple episodes that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks to get some new content up there. Uh, we're going to put into our schedule to constantly do at least uh, one a week or so. So officially, we are going to launch our Patreon thing. Just go over to Patreon, Brew Speak Pod, and you will find it. It'll also be in the show notes of this podcast. So we have our tier starting at a dollar. It basically unlocks all the exclusive episodes that we have only over on our Patreon feed. Uh, so far, we've done our top three video game franchises, our top three music-based movies, not documentaries or about bands, but just, you know, kind of based on movies. Uh, so... Some fun shit that we've done, plus some old ones that we tried doing from before. Uh, we kept those up because they're still fun. Those are good. I like those. Yeah, we uh, they're a little bit longer, but we're trying to have it be more condensed, about a, maybe about 20, 30 minutes. Um, so if you have any ideas, let us know. But uh, the tiers are basically at the dollar. You unlock those episodes. At $3, we'll thank you at the end of uh, every episode for the month uh, that we've done. Plus, obviously, you unlock the, uh, the episodes themselves. Uh, at $5, we'll send you a die-cut sticker of the podcast logo, uh, as, and a, as well as the other perks. Uh, basically, just assume that anything that you do, you'll get the perks before it, too, because that's getting kind of stupid to say. Uh, also, at the $15 one, we will send you a pair of socks with the podcast logo, which I think is pretty cool. I haven't gotten any myself, but uh, looking forward to that. At uh, the $30 donation, you get a shirt. Uh, let us know your size uh, beforehand. Uh, it has the podcast logo on it. Uh, $75 will give you a hoodie. And we'll give you everything from before that. And uh, we're open to suggestions as well. Um, you know, with the shirts and hoodies and stuff like that, we, we can do alternate colors. So if you would like to do that as a one-time donation, I absolutely understand. However, if you'd like to do it the following month as well and stay at that level, we have a couple of different variants of the shirts and hoodies and so forth that we can do. Uh, so if you feel like being just, you know, stupidly generous to us, that would be great. And we can kind of get you, you know, your, your things. Uh, but there will be a cap of how many times we can do that because there's only so many colors available to us. But, uh, you know, very much looking forward to uh, giving you guys some extra stuff if you would like to. Uh, this is going to help offset, you know, our, our hosting costs. And, you know, that'll if we make a, some money beside the hosting costs we'll reinvest it back into you know getting dan a nice webcam maybe trying to do more webcam based stuff maybe you know that'll be part of the patreon thing like you know this is something new that we're trying to do we're trying to grow it and we just want to uh do fun things so like i said we're open to suggestions uh head over to the patreon page patreon.com slash brewspeak pod and uh let us know what you think of the episodes that we're posting we uh we have fun doing them and we're hoping to uh continue doing them for you so uh would be greatly appreciated to uh to get some feedback on that and for the brutally speaking podcast i am john and i am dan and we will talk to you all next time